You're listening to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. We hope you're all going okay out there. Before we get to today's conversation and introduce our guest, we wanted to read one of our latest emails from a new listener, with their permission, of course. Hi, Ryan and Hannah. I just found your podcast. I'm an adoptee who was raised and lives in Kansas. As you can imagine, this has been very alienating for me. I've dealt with racism my whole life, intrusive questions that seem normal to all the white people surrounding me. I've struggled with mental health due to my experiences. That being said, your podcast has been extremely eye-opening for me. I've been exploring my identity for the first time, reaching out to fellow adoptees and feeling true acceptance and understanding. I just want to tell you that what you're doing is important. You've made me feel less lost on this journey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hannah Rhodes Fleming. Oh, we want to say a big thank you to Hannah and to all of you who get in touch with us via email or on socials for any and all reasons. We appreciate every message or note. It certainly helps us feel more connected and more motivated, especially so during a time like this. Also, we're currently working on a follow-up episode to our last one on race and racism from Korean adoptee perspectives. Thanks to all of you who engaged and reached out to us. Your feedback is really helpful and we're taking all of it on board. We realize it's such a mammoth and important and complex topic, and we hope to keep doing our little bit by continuing to have these conversations. Today we speak to Nikki Webster, aka Nikki Often. Nikki Lee Bix Webster is a Korean American who grew up in Towson, Maryland, and is currently living in Los Angeles County in California. She used to consider herself a Korean adoptee, but was reunited with her Korean birth family in 2012 and built a meaningful relationship with her immediate and extended family members for five uninterrupted years in South Korea. She returned to the United States in 2018 and now considers herself to be an overseas Korean or second-generation Korean American. She's also the creator of Nikki Often, a visual arts project that is dedicated to punching you in the heart with comics. You can follow her at Nikki underscore often on Instagram or visit www.nikkioften.com. Well, thanks so much for talking to us today, Nikki. You first moved to Korea in 2012, right? Yeah. With the main intention of uh, spending some time with your birth family? Yeah. Yeah, that was... That was the reason I moved there. There was a couple other reasons too, I guess, but it's always like when you think of Korea and stuff, it's like, are you going there for something or are you running away from something in your home country? And I was doing both. So not to like, yeah, like not to insult anybody who's just running because I think sometimes you can come across great opportunities even if you're just like, I'm just trying to get away. Like, I don't care what I'm going to. It doesn't matter. I've seen people create really great lives for themselves that way. Yeah, I like everything was going wrong in the U.S. The only thing that was good was that I was graduating from college and I was graduating like two years late or three years later than I should have. Um, But the reason why I graduated was to get an English teaching job because I thought, that's the only way I can stay in Korea and get a visa. Like nobody had told me about the F4 visa yet. Yeah, everything was wrong. I remember my car broke down and 
like the engine just burnt out because the oil change guys didn't put new oil in. Um, so the car was ruined. And then some tow truck company like fast talked me into selling it to them for a hundred dollars. Um, I, I was so young and stupid. So I just was like, okay. But the, the reason why they did that is because they were getting out. I mean, they basically stole the car from me, (laughs) like a hundred dollars for working. Like they just had to drop a new engine in. So that was like super annoying, but I was just like, yeah, I'm done with this place. Like I fucking hate it here. Like I was in Maryland at the time and I just hated it. So I was like, good, my car is gone. I don't have anywhere to live. I have like two or $300. I have enough money outside of that to pay for the plane ticket. I'm just going to go. So I bought myself a one-way plane ticket and I used like the last of my student loan money (laughs) for my last year of college. And yeah, I had met my family a year before in 2011, like when we first really got reunited, but I only stayed with them for like a day. And then they were, they were kind of like, oh, when are you going to come back? And then I decided then I should finish college and then find a way back to Korea. And I thought to myself, like, I don't really have any family at the time, I really didn't feel like I had any family in Maryland or the United States at all. Um, even though there are people who would be like, that's untrue. Or, you know, I don't know why you feel that way. Which is like what a lot of adoptive family and parents say to people. But there's a reason why we would feel that way. So, yeah, I just, I felt like there's nothing here. And I have a chance to be a part of a family in Korea they didn't even tell me like, oh, if you come here, we'll help you. We'll, we'll take care of you. We'll love you. I just assumed that maybe they would. And yeah, it was, it turned out to be good for me, I think. I think you mentioned in another interview that your main comic character, Nikki Often. Mm. By the way, do Australians say often and Americans say often? Australians usually say often. Often, like without the T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if we're weird? speaking naturally, we also omit that. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay, cool. Often. Yeah, I think I do it if I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so you've, you've said that your main character, Nikki Often, um, first emerged during like difficult times in the early years of living in Korea. No, it was, it was not early. It was, um, three years in. So I, I yeah, I recently like scrolled back all the way to my first post and it was 2015. Yeah, that was a hard time. I forget. Oh God, I hate, (laughs) I hate all the hard times in my life, but it was a combination of, there was a, a guy, obviously I have a really, hard time with relationships and stuff and um just not knowing how to navigate them at all and scaring off people or choosing the wrong people or whatever um so there was a guy and he was actually a really good person um I don't know if he'll ever hear this podcast but I feel like he'll know that I'm talking about him but he was a really great guy and I you know I really liked him but it was just 
the wrong time and the wrong place. And I was a mess. Um, and I just, you know, I scared the shit out of him. And I was also studying at Korea University at that time. I received the, the NIIED KGSP scholarship, which is, yeah, they give you, you know, the free year of Korean and then a master's degree from any Korean university that you choose that's within their system. And I chose Korea University and I really stupidly chose the Graduate School of Political Science and Diplomacy. And it was the Ilban Dehagwan, which is the regular graduate school. So not for foreign students, it's for Koreans. And it's, mm -hmm. for, you know, like I didn't belong there. And, and I chose it and they were like, you cannot change it. You can't change your major and you can't change your school. So you need to just either get through it or you need to quit. And yeah. I was on the precipice of quitting. And it, it was really like, I don't know, tragic, I guess, for me. Because at that time, I thought academia is my career. And like, I want to become somebody who's really well-versed in international affairs and, and political science. And, and I couldn't do it. And I, I wanted to impress my family. I wanted to impress other adoptees, the president of Incas who had supported me like a really long time at that point to like getting there. And she was so proud of me. And, you know, I thought that it was like very prestigious what I was doing and I I knew that I needed to just quit because it wasn't right for me at all but I was trying to hold on to it that's one of my like character flaws I'll just hold on to stuff that's not working so yeah I was really sad about that and then I was like what the fuck am I even doing in Korea anymore then if I can't do any of the things that normal people do and and succeed beyond mm -hmm expectations I think that's another adoptee thing that a lot I've seen a lot of people that it's like adoptees will pick up a hobby or go to academic interests of theirs and then they're like I want to be in the top one percent of everyone who's doing this and if I can't be in the top one percent then I'm gonna give up or I don't want to do it anymore and I was like that as a kid like I if I wasn't the best, I was just like, then I don't want to do it. I want to be the best. Um, and I, I don't really know if that's healthy. It's probably not, but I mean, some competition is, but yeah, that was, that was my hard time. I, I thought I'm losing my career, quote unquote, and I'm losing a lot of the reasons that I'm in Korea and my family doesn't, I don't know if it was that they didn't care, but they, yeah, I mean, they didn't care, but it was like in a good way. They were like, we don't really, you don't have to graduate from Korea University, like just be happy. And they were like, please support yourself. Like just find a job. You don't need to graduate from this school because I have a feeling that I don't understand graduate school in Korea. And a lot of the times it's just kids who their parents can't afford to send them there and they don't want to join the workforce. And I view it as very lazy and privileged. And I'm glad that I wasn't grouped in with them. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't achieve that because yeah, that's all it is. I, like every time I ask them, like, what do you want to do with your life? Like, do you want to become you know, somebody in the government, they would be like, no, I just want to be a professor. It's like, they just want a stable job and tenure and shit. So 
Um, How did um, Nikki often then emerge out of that? Uh, <laughs> I think I was draw. I was making these drawings for that guy. Like I thought they oh. were cute. And then I was, I was making them for myself too. Like I was drawing them in sketchbooks first. And then I would show people who I trusted um, and not put them on Instagram publicly. And everyone would be like, Oh, that's really cute. Actually. Like it, it actually looks like you and it's cute. And then I was drawing them a little bit. And then I remember like cacaoing some to him and he just never answered. Cause he like did really didn't like me. Um, the first post is a Christmas post. I just was really, really lonely on, on a Christmas Eve and Christmas is like one of my favorite holidays and also one of my most hated holidays because I think that it means family, but I don't feel any sense of family in this world. And I just made that drawing and I put it on, I think it was originally my own account. And then somebody was like, you really should separate, you know, your art from, from your personal account so people can see it better. Um, yeah, that's sort of, I think that's kind of where it came from. I think I can't really remember, but that feels right. <laughs> feels like the story. Has drawing and art always been kind of therapeutic for you? Probably. Yeah. When I was young, I used to draw a lot too. Like it was my alone hobby. I didn't, I had some friends, but not ones that really stayed with me. Yeah, I just remember drawing a lot when I was a kid, but not necessarily this kind of stuff, just drawing. I think Nikki often like, yeah, resonates with, with us and a lot of adoptees, obviously. And I was wondering, so like when I first saw her, I definitely thought of her kind of like as, as an inner child. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if if you also think of her like that way, like in a kind of psychological sense or or whether like you get other adoptees that also like respond in that way, like they see her as like an inner child kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely an element of that to her. She's very fluid, though. Like sometimes that's what she's representing. And other times it's just me, like just me doing something stupid. And I wanted to draw a comic about it. But I think there's like in my older older drawings sometimes what will appear is like her plus me as myself like as an older woman and those drawings specifically definitely like this whole nurture your inner child stuff which I sort of maybe believe in I also am very adverse to like any sort of therapy i I'm one of those crazy people who's just like, I don't think it works, but that's for me personally. So I think other people can go get mental health things, but every time I've ever tried for myself, it works for like a week or two, like a couple weeks. And then I'm just like, I don't know why I'm paying this person to listen to me. I need to just get over it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm getting away from the question. (laughs) Yeah. She's definitely my inner child sometimes, but other times she's just her too. I don't know. Yeah, these are like hard questions actually to answer. They're interesting questions. Are this is there any ones that you guys sorry to take the questioning role, but are there any ones oh, that you go guys for have it? <laughs> been, 
Are there any drawings that you've been particularly like drawn to or that are really memorable? That's a good question. There's definitely, I'm going to like pull up your account. I also like the kind of uh, more like just little everyday humorous life anecdote kind of ones. Oh, like, you know, like buying too much stuff at Daiso. Yeah. (laughs) That's like one of the most relatable (laughs) drawings I've ever done. So I think, like, in your comics, there's just, like, this interesting combination of, like, humor and lightness. But then also, I think there are certain comics that just, like, really hit me and I can't even articulate why. There was this one that's, like, oh, I just want to be like everyone else. And it's, like, Uh, holding the hand of a little heart. And it's, like, that really resonates for me because I think I've always had this sense as an adoptee or, or for whatever reason. But I've always had this sense that, like, yeah, that there is something a little bit wrong with me or, like, missing or, like, um, mm. every, you know, other people have their lives figured out and, and you know, it's just me that's a mess, you know. You know, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> For real. And, and some of them that I very obviously relate to, like, we had a recent one about being kind of called to, return to Korea again and you know I felt that like almost constantly for, for years and years before I moved here so mm. so I played that yeah I'd, I'd visited a lot and I was uh, essentially just like I think too afraid to pull the trigger and just move mm. yeah and I was also like like the older I got I was like well what am I going to do for work in Korea um I'm too old to just, like, do the English teaching thing. I think I had this whole, like, snobby judgment, actually, of of doing English teaching, which is, like, which I'm kind of embarrassed about now, you know, because there's, like, absolutely nothing wrong with that or or any other kind of work. You know, it's I think it's just very class thing to judge different types of work. But No, you're not alone in that. I also definitely wanted to get out of English teaching as fast as possible. Like I took full advantage of getting the F4 visa allowing part-time jobs in industries other than English teaching. And I sort of just scraped for money for a long time. And I was proud of myself that I didn't end up in English teaching. Um, But yeah, you know, like on the, in the same breath, like I once ran into a lady and I was talking to her about how I felt bad that I'm in customer service. And she was like, well, every job is there because it's important. So what you do is important, even if you're not like an engineer. And so, yeah, like I get it, whatever, but no, I agree. I, I had like a kind of a snobby attitude about it too. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to be associated with that. But it's also because there's a bunch of like gross white dudes there who are teaching English, but really they're just there to like dick around. So like, I, I really didn't want to be in that world. Yeah. I, I really think that that's true. I guess people can get offended for that, but... <laughs> I saw it well, happen. <laughs> so you ultimately end up living in Korea for five years. Mm-hmm. And we were wondering, like, how did you feel about Korea by the time you left in 2017? Um, and did you feel ready in some sense to leave? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I got kind of to the end of my rope in 2017. Like I quit my job and I was planning to move back to America without a job lined up. And I actually didn't realize how bad that is to do until I was here. And then I was really struggling to find a job. But yeah, then my team leader from the, the place that I worked for in Seoul, she offered to just push my resume forward to this Los Angeles office of the place I was just working at. And I got this job a month after moving back. So yeah, everything was kind of scary before that happened though. But when I was still in Korea, I like quit that job and I, my um, housing lease was coming to an end. And yeah, I, I felt sort of like I've done everything here that I wanted to do which is like sort of true and sort of not true at the same time. Like I wish that I had, I wish that I had just been like a savant with Korean language and just like learned it really, really well because I have a ton of family members there and they're like all across different generations and age ranges. And I wish I could talk to all of them. Um, But your Korean seems like at least like pretty conversational. I think I can, yeah, like I, I can, but I can't listen to people. Like I can't hear what people are saying. And then my, my accent's kind of weird, I think. So they don't know what I'm saying. And then the the Korean that you learn at All Hakdang is really different from the Korean that people are speaking out in the world. And yeah, like normal Korean people, they're, they're, using the deferential honor system or whatever, what is it? Honorifics. They're using that constantly. And so sometimes my little, any of my younger relatives, they would be talking to me in Nopimau, which is the highest one. And I would just be like, I have no idea what you're saying to me. And then I would speak back to them in like the middle formality. And they would be like, what? Because I'm supposed to speak like really low to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was speaking super polite to, you know, like seven year olds and everybody <laughs> knew there was something wrong with me. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, like an, a Korean person who's never learned English, they don't know how to fix their Korean or like adjust their Korean to be right. comfortable. Yeah, so that that was a lot of what I ran into. Um, and then one of my sisters lives in another province, so she has, like, a pretty heavy accent, apparently. Like, I didn't really hear it, um, but she uses different words and stuff. Um, uh, like a dialect. Yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. not really from there, so she, it's not super... It's not, like, that bad, but it is kind of noticeable. Like, when I started actually knowing Korean, I would be like, huh, that sounds like different from what I hear my other sisters say but like the the lengths or the the depths of our conversations were kind of just like like with my mom it's always just like what are you what are you looking for in the kitchen (laughs) or what do you do you want to sleep do you want to eat um that kind of stuff or like we're leaving now so let's go Mm -hmm. um I've had some pretty deep conversations with my sisters. I'm like, I don't want to talk about like what we were actually talking about, but we had to use like a Google translate type in, you know, in English, what I wanted to say and stuff. 
So Korean learning was hard. And then I was kind of at a dead end with my job because I had been with them for a year and a half and I was just doing customer support through a ticket system. And I got like so good at the job that I didn't even have to read the tickets anymore. I just would answer them and it would kind of always be right because I would just skim through super fast and I knew exactly what they're asking. Um, So I was like, oh, I need to, I really want like a different career or whatever. I think there's more opportunity in the States. I missed driving a car. That was like a big thing. I I missed American cereal. And then, yeah, my family, I mean, they were sad to see me go, but they were kind of like, they're so cool to me that they were just like, yeah, if this is going to make you happier, like we don't want you to leave Korea, but you do need to live your own life. So if you want to go back, just go and then just visit us as much as you can. So I was really thankful for that. I think I got pretty lucky with uh, my Korean family. Yeah, for sure. I did. In both directions, I didn't feel a lot of discomfort. I just was focused on, like, in Korea, I was focused on, I want to learn Korean. I want to be with my family and, you know, try to make a life here. And then it stopped working. So I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I came back to the States and I was just like, yeah, I just want to recover all the things that I lost when I left here. Cause I, you know, you lose a lot when you move from like Australia to Korea or the U S to Korea, I lost five years of my life here. And that's why I'm 33 years old right now and still trying to find customer service jobs. (laughs) And there's so many people around me. They have, cause LA is like fucking competitive, really competitive. And like all these people went to like UCLA or CSUs in good parts of the States. And then they have master's degree, master's of business administration, whatever. And they're all like working for Disney and stuff. So I feel lost here too. I'm not sure that I like it here now either. But back then I was happy. I was happy. I'd never been in California before. So I was like, yeah, this is awesome. California. (laughs) Um, it wears on you I mean I think that's anywhere I kind of think that's anywhere (laughs) in your comics you've you've created um yeah a lot of a lot of stuff around the concept of home and feeling lost and finding belonging themes that I think probably most adoptees can relate to I think there are a couple of comics uh, with with the line, when your heart is in two places and neither one is home, mm. yeah, which which definitely resonates for me. Um, and then recently, you created a comic about feeling called to return to Korea again. Mm-hmm. I was wondering how are you feeling lately about like uh, you know a sense of home or um, like are you actually thinking about coming back to Korea? <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough question, too. Um, I, I honestly don't know, because, like, it actually would be really easy. If I wanted to leave next week, I could. And mm-hmm. But I tried so hard to make a life here, and the U.S. is my home. Um, like, even though I really miss my family, and I do have a home with my sisters, like wherever they are, all their apartments, I'm allowed to just kind of like 
come and go and, you know, stay with them. Those feel like home too, but the rest of Korea doesn't. So I don't want to go like live in a foreign place in Seoul and then just be like, well, you know, like once a month I can go see my family that like, cause that's what I was trying to do and it wasn't working. So yeah, the U S is my home. And, um, despite all of like the crazy shit that's going on in this country right now, like I'm American, I believe in America. I do think that we have like an amazing history and that we are like pretty much the best country in the world. (laughs) But, and that's like super, that's like the white side of me. But um, yeah, I do feel called back there because all I have is like the home that I've built for myself here. And it always consists of the same exact things. Like, it's really weird. It's like a little formula. It's like, I need all my little art supplies. I need a guitar. I need Mm -hmm. a computer, my clothes. And my car in America, at least. And that's about it. But it would be the exact same thing if I was in Korea, just without the car. Um, So I kind of think that I can take home anywhere with me. But yeah, it's complicated by the fact that my whole family is in another place. And that I don't feel very connected to my adoptive family. But I'm completely through and through an American woman. So it's kind of like yeah where where am I supposed to go and I think right now I feel most comfortable in America so that's what I think is home but I don't know if this is really where I belong and then I'm also dating a guy right now and I really really like him and I want to be with him you know like long term and if I leave now he's just going to disappear. Like we're not going to be together. He's not going to wait for me. And, you know, I don't want to chance. I don't want to chance it. Cause I think, I actually think he's like, could be the one <laughs> for me. So that's keeping me here too. But outside of that, there's really not a lot. Like I'm unemployed and I don't have family in California, nobody. And over the last two years, I I didn't make a ton of close friends because I was dating somebody else for my first year here. And I I was just kind of like obsessed with this guy, very unhealthy, toxic relationship. Um, It was an adoptee surprise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, yeah. So I don't have a lot of like anchors, you know, here. But the same thing can be said of Korea. Don't have a ton of anchors there either. It's my family is like the first one. And it got to a point where I don't know how to describe it, but we just became like normal. Like I was a normal. It's like how people have family here. Like you just go for Christmas or you go for Thanksgiving and then you live your own life and they just kind of like keep in touch with you. That's how my reunion was, it was not like emotional. It was not like, Oh, you should come live with us forever. And you know, we really love you and we really want to take care of you. It was kind of like, just realistic. And I like that about my reunion. And I like that they didn't baby me, mm-hmm. um, but it's cause I have a ton of sisters. That's kind of the reason why.
I felt called in the moment that I made that drawing and there'll be other times where I'm like, I'm not going back there. Like whatever I gave up there and I tried so hard to be in Los Angeles, I'm going to just stay here and try to stick this out. And if I have to, like I'll move to another city in the U.S., but I'm not going to leave this country again. But yeah, I do think about it. I don't know. It'd be easy. <laughs> and then my resume looks a little bit better now from these past few years. So I probably could get a nice job in, in Seoul, but um, yeah, I've heard they discriminate against women. You said earlier that you felt too old or like they were telling you you're too old for like certain things. And I heard that from another Korean friend too. She was like, she's only like 28. And she was like, I can't find a job in Korea because they don't want me to be older than the Kwajang name or the team leader. Mm. And she, at this point she would be. And so she was like, yeah, I'm not going to go back there, <laughs> but she's a Korean. She's an actual like Korean national. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I need job security and I don't know if that's there. It actually sounds like you sound quite clear in some ways that, that actually like America is your home and that you you mm. really feel like an American person and yeah it sounds like now even though I think it's natural for like a lot of adoptees to feel really strongly pulled to Korea at certain times like mm-hmm. it it does sound like even though like you're in quarantine and America's crazy right now that yeah that you're where you're supposed to be yeah, yeah. It's good to hear some some feedback about that because I'm I'm not sure too. And I think everyone needs to know, like anyone who listens to this podcast and who looks at my drawings too, like you never feel one certain way like a hundred percent of the time constantly. So like when I make a sad drawing or this drawing about like going back to Korea or whatever, this is not on my mind every single day. And I think maybe people need to just give themselves a break about that because if you feel something like that it doesn't doesn't mean like you're you're choosing the wrong thing by staying somewhere if you feel one day like oh I really would want to go to Korea and then you know you don't have to be like okay well now I have to change everything and go there um like it was just kind of a passing moment but yeah like everything's going to shit here like I I barely have enough money to survive and um you know, everyone's dying of COVID. <laughs> it's like, it's really tough here now. But, but yeah, you're right. I, I just, I don't want to give up here. This is, I don't know if California is my home really, but like definitely inside the US is, is where I like it best. But I don't know, it would actually be interesting to move back there a second time and see how I do better now that I'm more like aware of myself and aware of my specific like problems and mental hangups and other stuff like that. Cause I think when I moved to Korea, I felt very desperate and I was like, I have to do anything to make this work. And I was desperate in my friendships and my relationships and stuff. And people can sense that immediately. And so a lot of people distance themselves from me, but through the last five years of Korea and then the last two years living here, I gained a lot of confidence. So I'm a different person now. 
And I feel like it would be really, really cool to see myself living in Korea now with this confidence. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't really want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go yet. I always wait till the last possible moment. Yeah. <laughs> When you started to, I don't know, I guess like establish Nikki often, did you have a sense of who your audience would be? No, I did not. It was for myself when I first started it. I would, yes, I was using them for like my own personal art therapy stuff. And I think just like the people who were immediately around me at that time, they were like my audience. It was just like my Facebook friends who would maybe see it posting sometimes and then the group of Korean adoptees that I was hanging out with in Korea at that time. Um, That's shifted, you know, because a lot of those adoptees are not following me and they don't keep in touch with me anymore. And I don't know. And I recently had to, like, I recently was growing my account. um, Like I was actually trying hard to do marketing and stuff. And so my audience changed um, a little bit recently, but I do think that I wasn't like actively trying to target certain people, but people who like feel sadness, I guess, and kind of like a, uh, yeah, there's two, you know, there's like those two types of people in the world, the ones that are kind of like, well, whatever it is, what it is, whatever happens, happens, you know, like just go with it. And then there's other people who are kind of like different. They're like, well, what could I have done different or maybe this is never going to change. I like depression, I guess. Like a lot of people who were similarly depressed with me, they really thought my drawings were good. And people who feel a ton of fear of abandonment, I think they also, even if they don't realize that that's what they're thinking, um, they will just gravitate kind of towards it. That's like a very small audience though. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to look like I was preying on weak people <laughs> or like, people who were, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I didn't want to look like that, but yeah, it was just, um, the beginning was super organic. Now it's a little different because I am actually trying to monetize a little bit and, you know, sell some products, but, um, I don't know really who I was trying to go for back then. Just anyone who would listen, honestly. I just wanted to be listened to. I think, yeah, I feel like emotion coming from that. Because that's from my childhood. Like, I never felt like anyone was listening to me. And I think a lot of adoptees feel that, actually. Like, I don't know, actually. That's that's a topic I wish I could discuss with, like, a panel of people. (laughs) So it sounds like it started like a, like a kind of like a personal archive or something. Um, Yeah. Like a journal kind of. Yeah. Sorry. That was such a long answer. No, no, no. (laughs) Um, It was a journal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering if, um, you know, are there times where you feel more driven to do drawing? Do you have like kind of periods where you feel like Nikki often isn't so much there? Like, I don't know, like, maybe that's a stupid question. I'm not an artist. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, have you like noticed kind of ebbs and flows or like kind of patterns? Like, Yeah, no, no, not a stupid question. Not at all. I think I, I just kind of like draw whenever I want. 
And I don't know if it's quite inspiration or if it's just, I have an idea and I just want to put it down. Um, I guess that's inspiration. I don't really know, but there will be some days where I put like four drawings out in the day, two hours apart. And, you know, like normal comic creators and artists on Instagram, that's not how they do it at all. They will make all of their drawings, they'll create the content. And then if they make four drawings in one day, they'll spread it out over four days and post at the exact same time on all four days. But for some reason, I just, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Even though people are like, you should do that because you can get more followers and you can get this or that. But I have, I'm very like, um, very rebellious or like, I don't like listening to people, I think. And or like doing what people say, maybe. And I especially don't like it for Nikki often because I want it to be real. And sometimes I just feel like drawing five drawings a day. And other times, like over the past week, I didn't do any because um, I was just busy. Like I was living my own life. But I think for a long time, they were coming out of like deep sadness. And it always is triggered by either my friends or my boyfriend or love interest or whoever sort of like rejecting me over some kind of issue, like me being too crazy or too clingy or too whatever I'm too much of. And I always feel really rejected and I feel like everybody's like, I can't count on anybody. And so I make a drawing and that's what it was for a long time. But now I'm doing, I think my more recent stuff is more like cutesy fun stuff because one, because I am really happy in my relationship now. So <laughs> there's no sad things to draw anymore. I think, yeah, I'm just in a better place in life, even without, you know, having my relationship now. Um, I still would be a lot happier than I was a year or two ago. And I think that's kind of, where that comes from. Sorry, I hope that answered the question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're also really, um, they're also really funny. They're also like, I mean, sometimes like, I guess dark, but like, I, yeah. I personally really like that. But um, mm -hmm. it's like, you have this like, I don't know, it seems to me just like this amazing balance of like, melancholy with ability to laugh at things or laugh at yourself. And like, yeah. um, I, I just imagine that's like quite a difficult, quite tender thing to have to like balance. And I don't know, I feel like your, your comics really do that. Yeah, that's, well, that's like really interesting to hear. And that's like a really high compliment. Thank you. Because I don't, that's just me. Like, like <laughs> it's just my personality. And I'm, yeah, I'm just like super awesome. I'm all those things. Like I'm dark humor and sometimes I'm just like really cute and, whatever and I have a great sense of humor and I laugh like sometimes I'll laugh at stupid stuff too and not everyone agrees but like <laughs> yeah humor is like a huge thing for me and I love it and I sometimes I like want to be a stand-up com comic or something here in LA but I have too much stage you fright. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great right like I would oh I really want to do that but yeah my drawings I think I don't have to think about balancing that, you know, like, I don't think like, well, today is a funny drawing and this drawing sad and what, and like, you know, the next time I'm going to do a dark humor drawing, it's just like whatever I'm thinking. So 
yeah, I'm kind of just real cool like that. I don't know. This is my, this is that self-confidence that I found. <laughs> um, I suggest everybody do this and find it. I mean, I still, you know, I still have self-doubt all the time. I feel like self-confidence is a big adoptee issue and people need to talk about that more. I wish people would talk about that more. Sure. I think in one comic you wrote, um, I feel alone but happy. It took me years. Once mm. you reach it, nothing can hurt you. Mm. Um, and I think, like, especially now with, like, COVID and um, a lot of us are probably struggling with isolation and loneliness a bit more than usual. And um, I was wondering how did you cultivate, like, more comfort and a feeling of security with, with being alone? Like, do, would, I don't know if you'd have any advice for, like, others who might be struggling with being alone right now. Well, I'm not sure about like quarantine alone, that's a little bit different, I think, um, than the loneliness that I was sort of referencing. But but they're both important to like, um, you know, address. The way, the way that I got to being okay with being alone is that you have to go through tons of pain, like tons and tons of it and tons of rejection. Like I, I think I'm... I'm actually so proud of myself for like always putting myself out there with guys. Like I would always just go a hundred percent. I would be like, I'm in love with you. I want a future with you, whatever. And I just kept doing it and doing it, doing it. It didn't work any of the times except for this one guy now who actually really likes me. And I, so I do think it's like a timing thing, but yeah, I would always just be kind of completely vulnerable and people are going to take advantage of you and people are going to hurt you when you're like that. And I don't know if I'm, if I have some other kind of quality that makes me stronger or able to deal with that. But I, I think it's really important to be vulnerable, especially for guys. Like it's, it's really easy for me to make these drawings and to see and hear women talking about them. But whenever a guy looks at it and then like, writes me a message to be like, Oh my God, that drawing was really good. Like I felt something. I'm always like, Oh my God, men feel things. And then, <laughs> but I think they're the ones that like the most risk for like feeling so lonely like that. And, and it's kind of like, you just, you have to be brave and you have to just go out there and not expect your heart to get crushed. But to be able to survive from that. There's so many people who won't try at all because they're like, I'd rather just be alone than get hurt. But I did it both ways. I've tried both ways. Like I've tried to be really cautious against men and it's really stupid because men think that's like playing hard to get or like a game, but it's not a game. Like people are actually like traumatized and you need to be careful with other people. So yeah, if like if you're an adoptee dude out there who like hunts women, I'm addressing like your listeners right now. <laughs> like, please stop doing that because it's like not okay. And um, you know, like women in general are fragile. Not like not like I'm, uh, now I sound like anti-feminist. That's not what I meant. But like women in general, you know, have insecurities and stuff, and adoptee women more so. 
because there's an extra layer on top of that. And when you're just like a jackass trying to have sex, like it's, it's really not cool for, you know, the community and stuff. And then, um, oh God, I'm getting so far away from what we're talking about. (laughs) Oh yeah. The loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you have to be brave and, and go. I guess I have like resilience kind of, I don't know. That's a strong word, but I always just go forward. There's nothing else you can do. You shouldn't go backwards. There's nothing there. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's Korean advice actually that I got often from like my sisters when I was sad about something or I missed an opportunity. They would say in Korean, like, it's gone now. Like, you you can't think about it. And is there like an idiom or an expression for that? I don't know. I don't know like what the Korean was for that, but I think, I think I just, I remember somebody Korean telling me that like to just think about it as like, it's disappeared. You'll never recover it. And you just have to move on from that. There's nothing else you can do. And I think um, a lot of adoptees maybe, or people who have suffered trauma, it's not just adoptees, but they get caught in thinking they just get really wrapped up in the trauma or, or whatever it is they felt that they've lost and they can't move past it. And it's like, I don't know. I wish I could just tell people like, just go past it and then you'll be fine. But a lot of people can't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you're on your own time schedule. Like nobody can really speed you up. Hopefully you know, you're going to do it before you die. But there are some people out there who are going to die and they've never gotten past their issues. And I'm not one of them because I feel like I've gotten <laughs> past a lot. But but there are a few really deep ones that I've held on to for years and almost decades. And I, I hate them and I want them to go away. That's why I try to just forget. But when I'm drunk or whatever they'll come back to me and Mm. I don't know what to do about that like people are like you need to go um reconcile with your adoptive family or you need to go to therapy and talk about it with somebody but I none of those things have worked for me and I don't want to reconcile with my adoptive family I think Yeah, we're getting into territory where I asked not to talk about it, but um, I'm just gone from them now and life's going to go on. Do you think, I mean, are we talking about something a bit like forgiveness when we're talking about like letting go? Um, I think it's a combination of forgiveness and letting go. Like for me, the healthy thing that I can do is I actually had a dream about it last night. I'm really into dreams and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw a member of my adoptive family and I was like, I, I forgive you. Wow. Yeah. Like I forgive you. And I think you tried really hard to take care of me. Yeah. That was like a weird, a weird experience. Um, but it used to be anger. Like I used to hate, yeah. I used to hate them. And mm-hmm. I don't know when that resolved itself. Sometimes it's just time, like just growing yeah. older. Yeah. 
And lonely, I think the loneliness thing too, that, that sort of, I got more okay with it just because I'm older, not because of anything that I did or that happened to me. I just feel more comfortable in my own skin and kind of like, if somebody doesn't want me around, then why should I try hard to make them want me around? Like I can just leave that person and everyone's going to be fine. <laughs> Nobody, no one's going to die because of this. But I used to think when I was young, if, if a guy leaves me, I'm going to die. Like mm. not going to mm. be able to make it past this breakup. I don't know if that's common. I feel like it is though. <laughs> I feel like with all the breakup memes out there, it's not that uncommon. This is a little bit of a tangent, but do you think breakups are something that you've kind of gotten better at? Yeah. Age experience? yeah. But maybe I haven't because, oh, it's really hard for me because I don't know what is a healthy breakup, right? Like there's some people who are like, well, I want to be friends with my ex. And I'm like, especially if it's like a new guy and he's telling me, well, I'm okay with my ex. Why can't you be cool with that? I'm like, fuck that. What did, like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm not cool with any of my exes. Like I'm not, I don't hate them either, but I'm not going to like text them on their birthday and be like, Oh, Hey, happy birthday. Like, how have you been? I don't understand that at all. But there are people who are like, if you do that, that means that you guys are mature adult people. And I'm just like, I, I don't agree with that. And my, my breakup method now is like, as when the guy tells me to go, I try to just go. And like, you know, I will have my, you know, three week, month and a half period where I'll be texting and I'll be like, no, I, like we can work it out. I miss you, whatever bullshit, just because like, I feel sad about the breakup. But after that, I like block all the numbers, block all the Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, <laughs> email address, everything. And I'm, I mean, it goes back to the advice that I got from Korea, which is like, that person's gone now. They're mm. like, quote unquote, dead to you. And you don't have any reason to reach out to that person again. And I've gotten advice like that from, from my friends too. Like one of my friends said to me, don't ever give anybody a second chance. If a guy comes back and he wants to be with you again, you just tell him no. Like, I think this is healthy, like, or normal or healthy. I don't know. Like, I feel like once you guys decide that you're not going to be together anymore, like what, what do you, why do you need to be friends again? It can't happen. It actually can't happen and it, that's a really Korean idea actually and it's very American to say like yeah people can mutually break up and still be okay by the way just like a little anecdote I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever done a breakup particularly well because I <laughs> I definitely have this tendency just to like keep looking back at the past and thinking like Mm. oh maybe if I'd done this differently or if I'd done that differently or like oh maybe like maybe I'm supposed to go back there and Mm. and figure out what went wrong rather than like looking to the future and like new possibilities so and once I I read this book on breakups and about like how it's kind of like it was kind of like this guide to doing breakup well (laughs) and what that book reaffirmed for me I was like wow 
I have never done <laughs> I've never done a breakup like well or cleanly or like basically yeah I've just been doing like the opposite of everything in this book <laughs> so that's what that's what that book taught me <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I figure if I read that book, too, I'll just be like, I don't do any of this shit. Like, it's just someone's ideal version of a breakup that no one does. Like, no one's, I don't think anyone's good at breakups. I don't think so. I mean, maybe Beyonce. She's like the only person who would be able to handle herself. And that's it. I think the the main thing I took from that book was like, it recommended something like, a minimum of, I don't know if it's like 50 days or 60 days of mm. zero contact cold turkey. And then like after that, maybe you can then like reevaluate. <laughs> it doesn't sound realistic yeah. at all. Oh, and, and the other thing, the book was just like, you broke up for a reason. Like you broke yeah. up because something was broken. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's not you. Yeah, no, I felt that way too, though, for a long time. That that question of what could I have done differently? Would that have changed the trajectory of this relationship? Um, yeah. That has haunted me, I think, for for so many years. It's even haunting me now. Like, I'm dating this guy. We're, we're doing really good. But I sort of skipped, I think, the period where I was supposed to uh, try to, like be coy or like you know like if he would call and be like hey what are you up to do you want to hang out and me be like oh well I'm busy today and tomorrow maybe like this weekend but you know normally I would just be like yes I want to hang out with you because I like you and you're calling me to hang out so I'll just go with you but I never do that I never play the game and a lot of guys have told me that that's like pretty much the wrong way to get a guy so I don't know, like, yeah, I feel like I'm doing everything wrong in dating too. And I'm doing everything wrong in breakups. But I think the thing that you have to remember is like, no matter how wrong you do it, like life is going on, like life is moving on and, and you're going to meet people who don't say you're dating wrong or you're breaking up with me wrong. And I mean, you know, at the point of the breakup, doesn't matter what you do. Like, you don't have to care about what that person thinks anymore. Um, so you can do everything wrong. And if you're really breaking up with that person, it doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't matter. But I know that it's a lot different when they're breaking up with you. Like, you're getting dumped. Um, that's much different. Yeah, I've felt that all the time. Like, how can I be a better girlfriend mm -hmm. or person? And then guys will like me. But sometimes it's it's not even about that. They're just guys. Like, they just see another girl and they're like, I'm interested in that now. That's what I want. And I don't know. The, like, the reasons people choose for getting into and out of relationships, sometimes they just make no fucking sense. It'll be, like, something about superstition or just, like, one thing that bothers them. And they'll be like, this whole relationship doesn't work because of that. And then there'll be crazy people who stay together. Every single thing is wrong in this relationship and they're choosing to stay together. Right. So like, I don't know. Maybe like yeah. codependent or something. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. That's I what I say is like, you know, my 
from my smug, like single perspective. Oh, probably could have. <laughs> yeah. They're not in love. They just <laughs> fucking need each other too much. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I've learned about relationships is just really not to worry about them that much. That was the focus of my life for like probably the past eight years before 2018. No, no, no. I was, yeah. From 2019 back, all I wanted was like a relationship, a really good one. And it's because I, I feel so disconnected from my adoptive family and my Korean family and you know like the next place you look is your significant other and I think there's a ton of people like this people who are not adopted they're like this and they they end up in abusive relationships or just really unhealthy relationships maybe they're not getting abused um and it can really fuck with you like for a long time and I I really wish that I could just hold seminars with women about like just how to not feel so, I don't know, not desperate, but just not so sad about these things. And that's what I'm doing with Nikki often when I'm making the sad ones. I think I'm just trying to put it out there. Like you don't have to feel this way. And if you do, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it, but don't hold on to it. Especially if it's a guy like just messing with you. Like, it's not worth it. There's so many other things to be upset about. I, ha- I hated the way that I handled relationships in the past. Really hated it. I'm embarrassed of myself. I think we all have certain things that we're embarrassed about. From You know, from times where we didn't have the self-awareness, really, to you know, to know what was going on. Yeah. 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 Um, I do think though, like my theory is that, you know, that tendency to kind of look back to the past and like, what, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? For me, I think that really (laughs) relates to, to kind of like adoption trauma and Mm. like, and just this kind of like, oh, was, was it something about me? You know, like, because that's the way that you interpret it as a child, like, ooh. And I, and I think, yeah, having certain, like, unresolved relationships, like, say, for me with my birth mother, I think that pulls me, like, my focus back to the past sometimes, even when, even when I don't want to, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's just my theory. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me, definitely. That's one of the main themes of my thing is, is like, what's wrong with me? And I think I remember reading some, some book like a long time ago and there was an adoptee and he was just like, when I was a kid, I used to just tell everybody that I was an alien from outer space because that's how I felt like that. I didn't belong here kind of, and something's wrong with me. And it's like really, it's really easy to go there to be like, it must be me. It must be my fault. Everybody around me is they're better and, and they're normal, mm. but that's not true. I, I don't know how else to say that to people anymore, but I mean, I catch myself a lot being like, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Um, but nothing's really wrong with everybody. It's just like, everybody's their own person. And then, you know, sometimes it's just, doesn't match up even with friends and stuff like you're not 
always going to get along with everybody. And I don't know how to get away from that. I, I think I remember trying some exercises, like mental health exercises, whenever I thought something's wrong with me. I, I was supposed to, you know, like change the thought or reverse the thought or something. But I don't know if that ever really helped. I don't know what, I'm trying to remember what made me step away from that because I definitely have gone away from that now. I feel a lot better. And I normally I won't say something's wrong with me and that's why I didn't get picked. You know, like, I don't know, like job interviews and stuff. I've mm. been getting rejected a lot from jobs and it would be really easy to be like, well, I messed up the interview or there's something wrong with my resume or whatever. But there's just so many factors at play. And, you know, you could just catch the HR person on a bad day or it could be anything. And I think people should remember that in relationships, too. It could really be anything like, you know, there could be family problems that your significant other doesn't want to tell you about and they need to go deal with that and they have to break up with you to go deal with that. And that could be the reason and you'll never know. And it had nothing to do with you. So like why waste your time thinking about that? But if you see stuff that you should improve about yourself, then yeah, do it. Like that's, that's the point of life is to become a better person. You mentioned that like that you do like remember your dreams a lot and that like you I don't know like do you keep a dream journal like do you do you think like your dreams kind of like offer up useful stuff um mm, yeah um I don't keep a specific dream journal but I do have like you know books everywhere and if I have a really like cool or interesting dream I will try to write it down and there's a f there's like two or three recurring dreams that I have. One is of me in the house that I grew up in, and it's also a memory too. And I would I would get home from school every day, and my mom wasn't there, so I was like a latchkey kid. And my sister was there with me, and my sister has like a genetic disorder, so like she she needed caretaking, and I was sort of. When my mom was not around, I was the caretaker, but I was seven years younger than her. Um, so that's like, that's in itself is hard to deal with. Um, and nobody explained to me sort of why I had to do that, but I felt this huge responsibility for her. Every day I would get home from school, no car in the driveway. I would run into the house and then I would go around the entire house locking and closing every single window and door. And the basement door was like specifically really scary to do because I was convinced that there was like a murderer hiding in the basement waiting to jump out and get me and my sister both. And I never expressed this fear to anybody. And I don't, you know, so like I didn't get help for it as a kid. I didn't see us. I don't think I told anybody about it. So now when I'm really under a lot of stress, especially when I move to a new place, I'll be there again and I'll have that dream. And um, if I'm really under stress, there actually will be an intruder and he will attack me. And then if I'm, if I'm feeling like kind of okay, I think my subconscious comes in and 
I'll be locking the doors and everything in the dream. And then I'll sort of be like, why am I doing this? I don't know. I don't think anything bad's actually going to happen. And then usually I just like wake up instantly, um, like right before getting attacked or right at the moment of realizing I'm in a dream. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one of them. And then the other one is like always getting lost in either a school or a place of employment. And I'm supposed to be doing something and I don't know where to go. And I don't know sometimes what I'm doing or what I'm looking for if I, or I'm running from somebody, but usually it's like the finding. And I think that this is like a human thing. I think maybe among your listeners, people will hear that and they'll be like, yeah, I've had that dream. Definitely like getting lost somewhere and I'm trying to look for something and I don't know what's going on. Um, and then sometimes, yeah, I'll just have like vivid disaster dreams, kind of like a tornado is coming. I've never seen a tornado in real life. So I don't really know how my mind um, creates that. Yeah, I think it's it's half of like my psychology, but a, a lot of my dreams get affected by whatever is happening throughout the day also. Like last night I had a dream and the reason I said I forgive you for everything is because I thought the world was ending in seven days. And the reason why I thought that was because I was watching like a superhero movie right before bed. And they were like, the world's ending in seven days. Everybody has to like, you know, what are you gonna, we have to save it. And then um, I turned to my boyfriend and I was like, what would you do if you only had seven days to live? And we were just kind of both like, oh, I don't know. We just like, go have fun or whatever. But I think my subconscious came to me in my dream and it was like, you know, you have some stuff that you need to, to do before you go. So, so that was definitely like a total mix of like real life that had happened to me and my subconscious. And Mm. those are the best kinds of dreams because you can pick apart what, if you're really smart, you can like pick apart the things that are sort of inside of you and the things that came from somewhere else. And if you can throw away all the things that came from somewhere else, then you've sort of figured out who you are a little bit, just a piece of who you are for like a day. Mm -hmm. Um, I think dreams are really important. Like I don't think people should make big decisions based on dreams (laughs) or anything like this, but it's really important to reflect, especially when your mind is, at such a weak state that you could think anything. Um, Yeah, I think people should be more aware of it. I wish I had like a dream recorder to see all my dreams later on. (laughs) Was the show that you were watching Umbrella Academy? Yes, it was! (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say it, but then I was like, oh, then maybe they're not gonna know it. So I don't wanna seem like a dork. But it was, and they're, yeah. They're, they're all adoptees. Yes, they are. Yeah. Dude, so many superhero adoptees. Mm-hmm. Superman, Batman kind of with Alfred. A lot, a lot of them are like displaced people. That's why I feel like, yeah, adoptees should watch more superhero stuff. And I think that's cool. That's a really cool thing about in modern media and literature and stuff that the people who are considered the strongest are ones that have gone through like a ton of hard shit. Even if they haven't gone through that much hard shit, like still this thing about 
you, you know, us that makes us different from other people. You know, the media has sort of uh, indirectly said, like, this is something that makes you stronger. So I don't know. I, I think I feel like I should live up to that rather than being like, oh, well, I got adopted. These people gave me away and I'm going to stay upset about it and I'm going to complain and get other people upset about it and whatever else. It's kind of like, but that's like not what adversity is supposed to do to you. Like it's supposed to make you better and it does. So people should embrace that. I think, (laughs) I hope that people do more, more often. The media is obsessed with us though. We'll we'll say. (laughs) That's true. That's true. In a comic, you mentioned something about an acting role where you got to kimchi slap someone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was a friend. I, I forget how we met originally. And then he just needed a, a woman to stand in and slap this guy, you know, with the kimchi. <laughs> and I remember him being like, oh, yeah, like, you're really easygoing or whatever. So I knew you'd just come by. And that's, you know, that's like my personality, right? Like, somebody calls me, I'll just go. And... So I went there and we like, first we had to go shopping to get the kimchi. (laughs) So we went to like (laughs) an H Mart or something. And then we went to his apartment and he was filming um, kind of like a food centric uh, comedy skit sketch thing for YouTube. I probably could get the the link for it or whatever. And there's a gif of me doing it now. Um, But yeah, we, we just had one take and all I was supposed to do was, be angry at my quote unquote husband for cheating on me and then grab the kimchi and just slap him across the face. And we did a great job. Like it was a really good, (laughs) it was a really good video. That was fun. (laughs) But that was like my first and last acting role. I'll never ever try again. I, I think I'd be okay with it, but I, that's not what I want to do with my life (laughs) (laughs) at all. I did also want to ask, just as a kind of like wrap up question, if you don't mind, like um, if you have any sort of upcoming projects or like what's next for Nikki often or anything you want to sort of plug. I think the only thing is, is that I'm going to make Christmas designs, Christmas cards. So those will be available within the next couple of months. And yes, I, you know, I have a loose plan to start my own podcast, but I'm not sure what's going on with that yet since I have to talk with my partner more about that. But yeah, I just, I just hope people continue to like what I'm putting out now and, and just keep up with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored to be with you guys. Uh, We feel honored that you came on. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Once again, follow Nikki on Instagram at Nikki underscore often and check out our website, www.nikkioften.com. And you can keep in touch with us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. And shout out to Kim Cooper, Nicholas Ramsey, and Rebecca Kinney, who recently became supporters of the podcast on Patreon. Thank you so, so much. Finally, if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.